Hi friends, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 12 through 19 with you. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There's a lot going on in there. And uh, if you've got a paper Bible, you just keep, uh, keep it open to those scriptures because we'll keep referring back to this. Uh, I've been in 1 Peter and going over this letter, and it probably should always be this way when it comes to a book that you're diving into, but I feel like, oh, this is the best one. I think this is my favorite one. And what I'm gleaning from it and what I think God wants us to take away from this as a community of believers in this day and age is that we are chosen to live as exiles, not just put aside, but we are resident aliens here in this world. And we have, uh, we have God's help available to us, but also the reminder that this state of being isn't ultimately our home and that God has something so great for us. But in this time, we have troubles, we have persecution. If we follow Jesus, there's this countercultural element to it that will put us at odds with the culture from time to time. And no one wants that to happen. No one's actually trying to go be a martyr, trying to be persecuted. But when we're following Jesus, that happens. And Peter's instructions and encouragement to, to the recipients of this letter still bear good news for us, even in this day, especially when it comes to facing difficulties that come into our lives as a result of following Jesus. During the communist regime, during the communist regime in Ro Romania. That's a hard word to say, because I'm warming up to say the word Richard Vermbrand, and I may be mispronouncing it. If I am, I apologize. But this guy, during the communist takeover, was preaching and advocating for religious freedom and for the rights of Christians. And while he was doing it, he was arrested. As a result, he was imprisoned because of what he was preaching, and he was subjected to severe persecution for his faith. And all in all, he spent 14 years in prison, and he endured physical and psychological torture. I can't imagine enduring that. And being in year 10, year 11, much less month one of like, when is this going to end? Is all of this real? But I think, I think it's interesting that even though these were efforts by that, by that regime to suppress Christianity, his persecution and his suffering became this powerful testimony of resilience. It was an example of, of how steadfast the Holy Spirit can make a believer 
and his courageous stand and his refusal to renounce his faith, it inspired countless Christians around the world to pray for him, to support him, and to pray and to support persecuted believers around the globe. And he wrote his writings, particularly his book, Tortured for Christ. It documented his experiences and the plight of other persecuted Christians. This gained international fame and attention, and it became the rallying cry for religious freedom around the world. And his story and the organization he founded, you might not know this, he founded Voice of the Martyrs. It continues to raise awareness and support for persecuted Christians around the world. So he had suffered adversity, he suffered torture, he endured, uh, but the efforts to suppress Vermbrand's faith, it ultimately backfired. And his testimony uh, raised awareness and galvanized the cause of persecuted believers and it, it highlighted the need for religious freedom. So isn't it interesting how in scriptures and in the history of the church and, and in our story of this family of brothers and sisters that we belong to, often the efforts to, to stop the gospel going out or, or to, to squash this movement, it often backfires. God specializes in that kind of a thing, like a spiritual judo move, just, just when they think they've got us. God shows up and, and, and twists it right at the very end. And if you're taking notes, that's the first point that I want to take from what Peter's telling us, that there's a surprise in the suffering. That's the heart of this passage. In verse 14, it says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, and the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, the persecutors, they'll, they'll make some charge against you. They'll, uh, and these days, it, it's usually just name-calling. We're not experiencing what Vermbrand uh, experienced, but when we're persecuted, it's the truth. We are blessed because we're actually taking the name of Christ. Another way to say it is that when you're experiencing this kind of hardship, it means you belong to Jesus. Like, I don't... I don't want you to miss this, being named alongside of Jesus, that's, that, that, we share in that royal title when we go through those types of things. Being called a Christian, that invokes Jesus in all of his majesty and glory and the curses that the persecutor wants to call down on us, they actually turn into blessings. Maybe not in this life, but so often through history, those, those very curses turn into blessings. So part of the, the history of this church is, is Anabaptism, which was originally an insult. Oh, you believe so much in baptism, we're going to call you the rebaptizers. And they were kind of like, oh, okay, we'll just own the name then. <laughs> and I feel like that's part of what's going on here, like when someone says, oh, you're a Jesus follower, you're this, 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 and this, what do we have to defend? Like, what do we have to get defensive about? Like, yeah, yeah. So it, the apostles and Acts, they also discovered this enormous privilege to be labeled with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Acts 5.41 tells us, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. 
When we, when we suffer because of Jesus, there's something much more going on underneath the surface. We get the honor of being included in the name of Jesus Christ. It means that we're part of God's royal family. But more than that, just the name itself carries power. And the Messiah is, the, is called the chief temple builder in uh, two, four, uh, chapter two, verse four and five. So like he comes and we're the temple and God dwells in us. And he's with us, the source to get through of endurance and resilience and all of these things. They're inside of us. And God gives the glory to that name, says Peter. That's a promise. However irritating it's got to be to the persecutors, if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do it. But that's how God works. That's what I'm getting at for, for point number two. Instead of, instead of fighting against these insults or trying to go on some sort of PR campaign of, no, 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 Christians, we're relevant, we're this, we're that. No, we just got to own it. So point number two is a response to persecution. Say, I resemble that. Um, my grandfather taught me that. When someone insults you, there's probably some truth to it. And just as a way to say, well, I resemble this part of that. And okay, like, I'm not going to fight about it. I resemble that. Like the Anabaptist or, or like these Christians that were beginning to face persecution. If you remember from a couple weeks ago, the, the culture was rapidly changing in what we know as Turkey today. But back then, this is where Caesar worship began. And, and it's a long historical reasons for them starting to, to worship Caesar. They were basically saying like, oh, hey, we're good Romans, we're good Romans, we're even better Romans than other provinces because we actually worship Caesar. And that created conflict and it created a lot of problems for the Jesus worshipers because they said, Jesus is Lord. And they were getting this nasty insult. You Jesus followers, you Christians. And Peter's saying to them, yeah, don't fight it. Just say, yeah, I resemble that. But it's one thing to turn a nasty name on its head like these believers who are facing hard times. But it's another problem here that, that it's just a reality of being a human. No one wants to be persecuted and mistreated, right? That's just a given. The real problem is that this must have come as a great surprise to these early Christians to discover, like, to, to hear the good news that God loves us and, and has made a way, like God's rescued us. And then to discover that, that even though this Messiah had been raised from the dead and there was this still this period of time where they were going through hard, intense things, suffering, that had to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hadn't Jesus defeated all the powers of sin and death? Like, Peter, why is this happening? And Peter gets that. And to answer it, he once he refers to them in this passage, he like a hyperlink, he refers them back to memories of Israel's scriptures. And this time he's thinking particularly of Zechariah. And in that passage where Jesus actually quoted it himself on the night he was betrayed in Mark 14, 27, if you want to look it up. But he talks about the shepherd who is to be struck down and killed and the sheep being scattered. Jesus seems to have seen that as a prophecy about his own death. But immediately after that, those who would remain his followers are to be put to the fire and refined like silver or gold. 
It's in Zechariah 13.9. The effect of the shepherd's death, it isn't in question. We have firsthand accounts. The sheep were scattered. We, we know Jesus rescued his power from uh, his people from, from evil. But there's still to expect what Peter calls this fiery ordeal. Isn't, it isn't something strange, Peter's saying. Like, this is what has been predicted, even back to Israel's scriptures. It's not pleasant to be persecuted, but if and when it happens, you can see that as a road sign telling you that you're actually on the right path. And that may make all the difference to get through it. So, once again, Peter reminds his readers that they must see everything in the light of the, the picture of God's big story and this final judgment that's, that's a, that will occur someday. No, the outcome isn't in doubt. Jesus will liberate his faithful people. But even for them, I've got to imagine this thought has to be sobering. That judgment will begin not obviously with the wicked, but with God's own household. There's some heavy stuff here. For a time for judgment to begin with God's own household, and it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The fact that God's faithful people are assured of ultimate salvation doesn't make this any less serious. This is a, a somber, somber uh, uh, scripture here. And Paul also wrote along these lines in 1 Corinthians says that there'll be a judgment for Christians too, and though genuine Christians will be saved, some will be saved only through fire. And Peter puts it even more strongly in verse 18. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So from God's perspective, what these things are boiling down to, from God's perspective, the holiest, most loving, most moral person out there is still someone that needs to be rescued and is still weighed down with sin without the grace and mercy shown through Jesus. That rescue wouldn't happen. Everybody needs Jesus. It's not about striving. It's not about getting the, 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 the perfect attendance badge spiritually. This, this reflection that I've just read of Peter's and Paul's about this judgment, it's not intended to induce panic or to be like, oh no, am I really a genuine Christian? It's meant to inspire gratitude, that our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to the grace and love of Jesus. And it's a, it's a reminder uh, to inspire gratitude that will also produce the, kinds of, the kind of character and the kind of endurance that those who are at present, who are persecuting the church, like, they don't understand it. And it's a reminder for us to let God be the judge, and for us to continue to keep our eye on the prize, to continue to do good works and to trust God no matter what. We're called, we're God's called people, and we're called to faith and patience. And we should entrust our whole lives to God. That's one. That's maybe just the season of life I'm in. But as I as I read uh, the experience and, and Peter's encouragement to these folks, and and try to put my mind in a place where everyone in every facet of my life is opposed to the gospel. Like I say it often, because I want you to know. Because I'm an optimist. I feel like I have to let people know. I know the culture is growing more and more hostile to the faith. I see that. But I, I, when I see like the, these people, 
in, in their business, in their, in their family life, in their neighbors. Like the pressure was coming from all sides to renounce Jesus, to either disrespect Jesus by worshiping Caesar instead, disobey God by worshiping a, a false God. Um, like I don't face that every single day. There's little things here and there and I'm so inspired by their life. And, and they had to release the outcome of their efforts to God. And that so much of following Jesus comes back to that, is releasing, God, you, you have my business. God, it's, it's your, my kids. I release those to you, all these problems that I'm facing. God, I release them to you. It's not that we, we put our heads in the sand and we don't do our due diligence and we're not good stewards with what God's given us but we can't control all the outcomes of our life. And that's one thing that Peter is encouraging them to do. Trust God, follow God, be obedient, and release the outcomes to God. And let God be the judge and, and trust that, that God has a plan for all of this. And put your faith, this is point number three, put your faith in the other Lord and Savior, the one we can trust. Because Lord and Savior was a common title for Caesar back then. When, when you see that in, in our scriptures, especially in Revelation, it talks about King, uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, those are Hebrew type and, and some Greek that had been translated in, but our Lord and Savior, to say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior when you're in first century Roman Empire was a politically subversive and a dangerous thing to say. No, we follow the Lord and Savior. That's probably a better way to say it than the other Lord and Savior. That's from a Christian perspective. Jesus is the only Lord and sa Savior. And no matter if we're in 2023 or the first century, the Caesars will always be Caesars. They'll, they'll want the glory and the power and control over everything. And whether like people don't walk around today not usually claiming to be God incarnate or to, to be worshiped like a God, but that temptation to have people prop, prop them up on a pedestal, those, the, the rulers of the world will always be tempted to be like a Caesar. But God will always be faithful. The example of Jesus to, to shun power and, and the way that the world does things and to serve, that's the direction we need to go. And that's the direction we entrust our lives to because that's the only path towards true peace in contentment, no matter what our culture says. So we might expect all of this to mean that we should like um, pray day by day, give ourselves up, give ourselves over to God, and that is absolutely true. But Peter here also says something different. He's encouraging these people to entrust their lives to God by doing good. And that doesn't just mean rule keeping, like I was talking, a little bit of, talking about a little bit ago. Not just keeping your nose clean, Peter's talking about much more than keeping our head down and, and staying out of trouble. Doing good means keeping the peace, making peace, even better than just keeping the peace. But like doing what is good is so much more positive. It means being, bringing fresh goodness, creativity, fresh love. It means bringing fresh kindness and wisdom into the community that we're around, into our families and you know, people you run into at the grocery store. When we say doing good, when we do this, 
We're not just saying, hey, everybody, look at me. Look how good I'm doing. No, when we're doing good, even to those who do evil against us or to us, we're saying to God, ultimately, God, I trust you with the outcomes. God, you've called me to do good in this world, to bring truth and beauty into this world. So, God, this is what I'm doing with the life that you've given me. And even though I'm facing suffering, I will continue to be that sort of person to your glory, but I need your help. I need your help. So part of the Christian faith, this is, I know talking about persecution isn't a real warm and fuzzy topic, but this is part of our faith, that, that settling the belief in our hearts that God is faithful no matter what. Settling it in our hearts that we can rely on God completely at this point and in all other points. So let's get on with the task of bringing God's life and love into the world. I heard another pastor in California use this language. It was Greg Loria, something he said on um, Instagram. He said, let's keep the light on. Let's, let's turn the light on in Southern California. And I, I'm right there with him. I believe that there's people in Southern California who need to hear the gospel and who want to know the gospel, the good news that God loves them. I think there's so many people, they may not know it yet, but they need to see lives uh, lived before them and in their midst where people are bringing that fresh creativity, that fresh wisdom, that different way of living, and not just words, but a life that backs up that truth with action, a beautiful life. But I think following Jesus, there's a beauty to it. But this passage reminds me that there's also some brutal stuff to it. So I, I, like, the, I like combining those words. Following Jesus is brutal. <laughs> it's beautiful and brutal. It's beautiful, the... the the example of these folks saying Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, and we are not bowing down to anything. And their example of generations of following Jesus, no matter what, changed the empire, the Christians in modern day, what we call Turkey, in Italy, all over the place. That, that changed the most powerful empire on the planet. Peter talks about uh, the language of, of the members of the church, the brothers and sisters that make up the church, he talks about them as living stones that build this beautiful building. And I'm still inspired by the story of, of the cathedral Notre Dame in Paris. And of course it took years and years to build. And, and I love that Notre Dame where it's at, Paris. I mean, some of the most anti-Christian uh, thoughts in the past century have come out of that. And postmodernism and all kinds of philosophical stuff have come out of there. But there's a beauty to this cathedral. And a, a few years ago, uh, when it was burning down, there was a fire in the, in the cathedral, the, the town was mourning. And I love the irony of, of the stories of the first responders and the firefighters, most of them atheists, don't, didn't believe in God, risking their lives to save the beauty of that cathedral. I, that's how God works. I think there's something to that, that when we are building something beautiful with our lives, 
that sneaks in the back door of other people's imagination. They may not, they may not ascend to the beliefs yet, but the beauty, they're like, yeah, there is something to that. You, you pray for those who persecute you. You love your enemies. You do good. You're still trusting and you're still filled with hope in spite of the circumstances that you're going through. How's this for countercultural? You're honest at your business. <laughs> you don't talk behind people's backs. There's something beautiful to that. So no matter what you're going through today, I want to encourage you to ask God for help and, and ask God to open your eyes to the beauty of following him. And though your life may feel brutal at this point, the source of strength, the source of refreshment and, and, and peace, the unreasonable peace that Paul talks about, it's closer than you think. And if, if you're going through a hard time, I want to pray specifically for you right now. So if you would please, maybe you're in a coffee shop. Uh, if you're driving, please keep your eyes open. Um, but just join your hearts to this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please give us wisdom to live a beautiful life? Show us what that looks like. God, for everyone here that's facing difficult times, for anyone that can hear this that's suffering because of your name, Jesus, I pray that you would infuse them with your power, encouragement, love and joy and peace and patience, Lord God. Show those of us uh, who aren't facing these hard times how we can come alongside of them and encourage them and, and, and be your hands and feet to them. And God, we release all the control of the outcomes of our life, God. We trust you again. We, 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 lay, we lay our efforts down at your feet. And we once again proclaim you as our Lord and Savior. So, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for spending some time with us this week. We're praying for you. Remember, you can always reach out to us at sgbic.com. I love getting notes from you guys. I love seeing your comments uh, during the week. And uh, don't, don't be shy. Make sure you drop us a line. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know how we can pray for you. And until we're together again, May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you and the Lord give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.